0: hello and welcome to law the universe and everything i'm your host pacifico soldati this show explores topics from law and business to consciousness spirituality and everything in between we feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life you can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com if you're not familiar with my background i'm a helper parent marketer attorney outlaw certified mediator story brand guide omnist yoga teacher and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and US Army Special Operations Command. Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by the HOCL Association, the first trade association for the HOCL industry. HOCL is the chemical our white blood cells produce to fight infection, now available in shelf-stable form for the first time in human history. 100 times stronger than bleach, yet safe enough to drink, HOCL is the most important chemical you've never heard of. Combining the strength of chlorine with the safety and versatility of water, HOCL will revolutionize skin care, wound care, pet care, disinfecting, and usher in a new era of clean agriculture. It even works as a seed to sale additive for cannabis with dozens of incredible benefits. Learn more at hocla.org. My guest today is Jason Wilson. Jason is a biologist and science communicator focused on enhancing critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about life and the natural world through his education company, Natural Learning Enterprises. He is the author of Curious About Cannabis, A Scientific Introduction to a Controversial Plant, as well as The Children's Science Story, A Toadstool's Treasures, Journey into the Fascinating World of Fungi. Currently, he is the producer and host of the popular cannabis and cannabinoid science podcast, Curious About Cannabis, and a new science and philosophy podcast called Isn't Life Curious? Thank you so much for joining me today, Jason, and welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here.
0: My pleasure. So tell me, take me back a little bit. What first made you decide to study biology?
1: It certainly wasn't a linear path. So when I guess backing up a lot, I've always been an extremely curious person. And so fast forwarding all of my projects tend to involve curiosity in some way, but I've always been a very curious person. And both of my parents were teachers when I was growing up. My dad taught secondary math and my mom was a first grade teacher. And so I grew up being challenged all the time to ask questions and learn about things. And then as I got prepared for college and going into undergraduate studies. I decided that I might want to go to medical school, and early on, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but that was the path I chose, and I found it interesting to learn that philosophy majors actually tended to test better on the entrance exams for medical school than most people, and so I was like, that's cool, because I love philosophy too, so let's study philosophy and prepare for medical school, and that'll be what I do and so i've spent three years or so planning on that i eventually did get a philosophy degree the minor in psychology i thought i was going to be a psychiatrist so i was planning on double majoring in psychology but then i got disinterested in medical school and the idea of being a doctor and i don't know i learned more about just what it takes to to do all of that and that even when you get to the other side you don't always get to necessarily do what you want to do so I spent a few years spinning out trying to figure out what I wanted to do if I wasn't going to go to medical school. And so I stayed in college for several more years just studying, basically piecing together a biology degree because I knew that I wanted to be in the natural sciences somehow, but I wasn't sure in what way. And an interesting thing happened during all of that. I ended up working for the university that I was at, the University of Mississippi, working for their IT department, of all things. And I ended up being one of the go-to technicians for Some of the natural products labs that were on campus, some of the biggest natural products research labs in the country are there, as well as the federal research and development lab for cannabis. And so in doing that, I was like, I really like this natural products stuff. I'm really interested in that. And I love telling people about it and educating. And so that kind of morphed into this, me finishing up, piecing together this biology degree and then going on to grad school to study um, biology and education.
0: And so did that kind of naturally lead into you deciding to take on this role of science communicator?
1: Yeah, definitely. I found myself in my free time teaching a lot and volunteering at science museums. And it was like an Audubon Center in Mississippi that I I spent a lot of time doing environmental education for. And then as I got older and into grad school and working on a more technical level with plants and fungi and things like that I started doing more more higher level education college level stuff and then when I graduated I ended up working for a natural products lab that was working with cannabis and that ended up leading me to focusing on a lot of cannabis science education because there's a really big need and yeah so it just all naturally evolved but it's it's been a very like I said non-linear process just spiraling and finding my way towards this common thread there around science and education.
0: And so how well received has it been in terms of trying to educate people about cannabis i know there's definitely a lot of misconceptions out there there's a lot of old stereotypes attached and stigmas attached that a lot of people have been working to break down but how does how has that journey been like for you
1: in general it's been really incredible i've had the chance to speak with a lot of people that i've you know studied on a on a high level and that's been really incredible to actually talk to these researchers and get their perspectives and share those perspectives with other people. As far as the audience goes, in general, everything's been pretty well received, with a funny exception that anytime I educate about possible negative aspects of cannabis, I tend to get quite a bit of kind of a pushback from the industry. And then when I teach about the positive, aspects of cannabis, I tend to get pushback from the opposite side. And so I'm always getting a little pushback from everybody. But I view that as a good thing that I must be doing something right to be uh, getting people, you know, interested in, in trying to understand the nuances of what I'm trying to cover.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I see the same thing playing out a lot. I follow a lot of different people in the cannabis industry and everyone's been pretty open about it on LinkedIn for several years now. And it's funny to see it become one of the premier places for like professional conversations about cannabis. I don't think like LinkedIn ever (laughs) had that in mind back (laughs) in the. but it has been really fascinating to see people calling out the BS in the industry. Like I had a guy named Brett Puffenbarger Mm, back on the show, one of my first episodes, he does along with the Kristen Yoder, they do a great Mm -hmm. job really delving into the dark underbelly of the cannabis industry to be like, Hey, these are the things like that are going on that we really don't want going on in this industry and trying to uh, pull apart all of those different elements that really aren't necessarily wanted. And some are a legacy from the illicit market, but a lot of it really is the people coming in with millions of dollars, just trying to make a splash or trying to run a fly by night operation, and not really adopting the best business practices that then gives a black eye to the industry somewhat. So it's an interesting time, I think, for the industry. And I do see that dynamic you're talking about. If you want to talk about any of the negative effects or just even negative topics around mm-hmm. cannabis people freak out because they'll worry like oh no someone's gonna see this Propaganda. and yeah and then we're just gonna get shut down and it's still you know people are still that nervous about it i think whereas Absolutely. yeah you then see it's been really fascinating like the psychedelic industry is having its own moment and people are you know going on linkedin saying hey i'm a psychedelic yeah. researcher psychedelic therapist whatever And it's now becoming like a really open forum for psychedelic conversations as well. And I think there people are much more, hey, let's talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. And we're moving on this train no matter what. Like there's no stopping at this time, which is funny because like now multiple cities and states have started to decriminalize various psychedelics and meanwhile like cannabis still <laughs> schedule one drug which is just like bonkers in comparison it's really wild the time we're it's at a, right now
1: it is yeah it's a really funny time and like where i am here in oregon we just legalized the medical use of psilocybin um and so and we de- decriminalized pretty much all drugs and yeah it's a really interesting time and you're right linkedin has been this kind of social media oasis for a lot of people because For whatever reason, Microsoft really hasn't taken the same approach that Facebook has with Instagram and Facebook of really trying to police it and protect the community from potentially negative conversations or something. So it has been really liberating to LinkedIn has been the special place. And the organic reach with LinkedIn is amazing too. So when you post something, people may still see your post weeks after you post it. Whereas on Instagram and a lot of other places, you pretty much have a very tiny window to communicate. And after that, you're just lost in the noise. So yeah, it is. It's an interesting time on multiple levels.
0: Yeah, never. I always, I could never stand LinkedIn, and now it's, we have one of the yeah. primary social <laughs> networks I use. And most of it is yep. consuming like, cannabis and psychedelic content, and and talking to people in the industry. And so yeah, it cracks me up like every day that I'm on there. That I'm like, I can't believe, <laughs> like I'm doing this <laughs> on LinkedIn. Of yeah. all the different social networks that could have been like. Hey, let's go hard on this. Let's totally envelop <laughs> yeah, ourselves yeah. and LinkedIn just kind of let it happen. They're just like, okay, whatever. They didn't even and have to do anything. They just did yeah, nothing and started exactly. it Yeah, it's so <laughs> wild. And yeah, and that's all it took, given how hard a line so many other platforms were taking. And I think it definitely shows you, like, yeah, you don't need to do anything special. Just leave people alone and let them do what they want. Yeah. It's really fascinating. So tell me, what are you most excited about for the future of cannabis and the cannabis industry?
1: A couple things. One thing is I am excited to see the industry mature to the point that a lot of people are now really trying to prepare for the kind of impend federal legalization, whether it happens in the next couple of years, the next five years or whatever. But it it seems clear that descheduling is coming at some point. And so seeing companies really start to take that seriously and prepare on one level is awesome. There's also just thousands and thousands of other companies that are not taking it seriously that will have a wake up call. But a lot of my background in working in laboratories and stuff was around quality management and process validation and quality control, all those sorts of things. And so when I see companies starting to speak some of that language more and more, uh, that gets me really excited because my one of my big things that I harp on with producers I consult with and things like that is you you have to take ownership of quality now before something happens down the road that then leads to regulations coming back on you stronger than they necessarily maybe should to try to protect customer health and safety. And so seeing companies really own that and moving into gmp compliance and all that sort of stuff is great especially since i've been watching and being part of the industry for the past decade or i've seen things come a long way so that's exciting i'm also on the science side i'm very excited about where cannabinoid science is going because it's really there's all sorts of fun stuff happening with the cannabis plant and that's great but for me where i'm at these days in my mind is the cannabis plant has given us a way to understand the human body in a, a new through a new lens. And it's also given us a way to look at plants through a new lens. And this, what I'm referring to primarily is like the discovery of the endocannabinoid system, understanding that our bodies are using lipids in a way to signal throughout the body in a, in a very similar way that you'd see the body use like neurotransmitters and stuff. And we've had some sense of that, but cannabis has led to a series of discoveries that have helped us really wrap our heads around it in a much better way than we ever have and it's getting better every year and then simultaneously we're also understanding that cannabinoids like you would find in the cannabis plant are not unique to cannabis and our definitions of what a cannabinoid is expanding to the point that it's starting to encompass other compounds that you'd find in a lot of different plants things like flavonoids. There are even like polysaccharides and mushrooms that are starting to researchers like these do have activity on cannabinoid receptors. How do we think about this? And so I'm really excited to see how cannabis has set the stage for us to look at nutritional science, botany, biochemistry, human physiology in in a different way. And that's going to lead to all sorts of very interesting innovations over the next 50, 100 years, not just in drug development, but in all sorts of other ways. And I'm really excited about it. And sometimes that's not so exciting to teach the industry about. Yeah, I'm excited about moving beyond cannabis. But I am like, that's something I've, I've really been getting really excited about. And that I like teaching about now is what cannabis has taught us so that we see the entire world in a different way from a like biochemical perspective.
0: Yeah, it is really wild to think about how the endocannabinoid system is not something that's taught in medical schools. So it's something that the vast majority of doctors are completely ignorant to and that there could even be some like separate like mode of operations going on some sub system like helping to manipulate and control certain things and yeah i think you're absolutely right like it does it has really opened up this huge window to people to say oh okay there's actually all these other things going on here and we know a ton about our own anatomy and physiology but In terms of what could be discovered, we still know just a very small fraction. And especially about the brain, pretty much know next to nothing, I think, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of what will be discovered over the next thousands of years. And so it's really fascinating to be at this critical threshold I think where you are seeing okay what can what can cannabis do what can all these different psychedelics do you know we're really opening up and being like hey let's put down put down the flaming torches and the pitchforks <laughs> and let's actually look at the science and let's actually test these different things on people and see if we can make major strides against like major yeah. depressive disorders and PTSD yep. and, and a variety of different topics. And I think this is finally the time where we've had different waves of either cannabis or counterculture or psychedelics have a moment. Um, but this seems like it's going to be it's going to stick. And especially as you are seeing these cities and states just be like, hey, we're done. Like we're moving on and it's every place I've seen legalized cannabis fully. Even if it's like a full, just, if it's just medical, if it's medical that anyone can go and get a card from a quick, right. like wreck from a doctor to me, that's fully like recreationally legal in all, for all intents and purposes. And that's the way California was forever. Yep, until and they find yeah. in Oregon as well. Until they finally legalized, and now in those places, I feel like cannabis is just pretty passe. It's just, <laughs> yep. oh yeah, cannabis, whatever. It's as passe as alcohol. It's just yeah, here's just like a feature of society. It's not something we have to be like ooh ooh like this yeah. flashy in, new and in, thing. You know? And in
1: fact, a lot of us are that have been in the industry for quite a while are getting tired of the the hype around it. It's mm-hmm. just one of those things. Like we would like to just see the conversation normalized and. But at the same time, it's when people are newly discovering all these different things, it is fun and exciting. And there's a lot to be hyped about. I remember the first time I went to a dispensary and the first time I encountered all these different products and trying to learn what they are. And, and it is super exciting. But it is, yeah, it does get to a point where kind of like, okay, yeah, but it, it's cannabis. It's one tool in the tool chest and it's exciting and mm-hmm. it's cool, but there's lots of other things to talk about and, and learn about too
0: yeah and it's been a while just watching the frontier just be like okay yep. yeah we're there's nowhere frontier. else to push it right now <laughs> and especially until like federal legalization happens and then you get more interstate commerce and logistics yes. and yeah the the industry will just really be turned on its head as everyone seeks to claw whatever else they can get in other states and it resettles into a new paradigm but yeah. meanwhile people are like okay we'll be busy with mushrooms while you figure that out <laughs> yeah sure, right. like let's do something else yeah um, yeah Yeah, it's been really fascinating. And yeah, I really think this is like the moment for that all to just come together and stick for the long term benefit of our species.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I just I did an interview not too long ago with the co founders of SILERA bioscience out of Florida that do psychedelic drug development. And that's on isn't Life curious. We have a like a mini series called serious about psychedelics. where We explore some of that. And hearing just where the drug development and, and new clinical trials are going with things like DMT and psilocybin and MDMA. It's the big three that are being focused on. It is, it is gonna stick and in whatever form it takes. And the potential there to radically change the way that we think about mental health, it's super exciting. My wife is a mental health therapist. This is stuff that we get excited to talk about having tools available that can, I, I love the classical definition of a psychedelic, a mind manifesting molecule or a mind manifesting activity that mind manifesting quality. You know, this idea that, you know, humans can use these tools like they have in the past and many cultures for many years have used these tools to self-reflect and confront traumas and all sorts of different things like that and to be able to integrate that into modern society again, and uh, make that available to people that that want to have that experience or try that route. I think it's going to have some amazing benefits for people, and I'm I'm really excited to to see where that all goes. And people listening, if they want to keep up on that, Maps is a great organization to follow for that multidisciplinary mm-hmm. association for psychedelic studies. So lots of great work there. And yeah, like I said, it's a fun time to be alive, especially given. The history of these controversial plants and chemicals that's on the education side i like talking about controversial things taboo things related to to science and nature and and everything so that we can once again normalize the language the conversation reduce that hype a little bit so that we can start to see clearly how we can best integrate these things into culture and into our personal lives and and everything ultimately the whole goal is to uh, try to improve quality of life and improve health. Oh, absolutely.
0: So tell me, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite mm-hmm. failure? Good question.
1: I might have to think about that for a second. But I've had quite a few failures because being, so I wear a lot of hats. Besides being a sort of scientist and a teacher, I'm a, kind of a very creative person, an entrepreneurial person. So I'm always doing a million different things and trying to experiment and see what works, what doesn't work. One thing that wasn't quite a failure, but it definitely didn't go as planned, and it was a very big, it had a very big effect on me and my sort of trajectory and growth as a human. When I was 17 in high school, so as seniors, we're tasked with doing a senior project, which is usually some just kind of simple community service project you do, and you make a presentation about it, and It's part of how you graduate. But when I was given that opportunity to do a senior project, I thought a little bigger and I was like, wouldn't it be cool to do some sort of big music and arts festival that integrates the audience as part of the art and encourages everyone to express themselves and everything. And this is in Mississippi. So like out here in Oregon, that's, of course, we have the Oregon country fair and all these things like that's not new, but in Mississippi, this was not a something you would find um, anywhere nearby, and especially not in my hometown of Florence, Mississippi, where we're pretty much on the edge of nowhere. And so I just I didn't know what to do, but I just kind of went to the local park and met with the like parks and recreation manager and told him about my idea. And surprisingly, he was like, sounds cool, let's do it. And so little by little, I just met with people, Sent messages out to bands and, and artists, different people, and pieced together this, um, this festival and started it when I was 17. It actually happened in February of the year after. So I, I was 18 when the festival happened. And everything was lined up, and we were donating all the proceeds to the Mississippi Arts Commission. And the festival we ended up calling the Free Expression Exposition. And I was so excited because we had, like, canvases that were set up along all of these walkways with stuff. So if people just wanted to control, like, a serial, like, painting exercise, uh, we had people that were, like, making puppets and all these, I don't know, just all sorts of different stuff. It was really fun to see all of this expression come out of this kind of simple, quiet, rural town in Mississippi. But then the day of the event... Just a number of things seemed to conspire against me. It was hilarious, but not at the same time. So I had one of the big acts that was going to perform, got sick that day, which that's fine, whatever that happens. Then um, we started to get these heavy winds and we found out that there was a storm coming in, which we're like, okay, it's Mississippi storm, whatever it'll pass. But it didn't pass. It got worse and worse. Winds got really heavy. A tree limb fell on someone's car. I remember and shattered their back window And caused the whole scene and then eventually we got noticed that there was about to be a tornado (laughs) and lots of people rightfully so cleared out so we we were starting to build a good audience we had hundreds of people there and then all of a sudden that just shrank down to a dozen and so that definitely didn't go as planned but we ended up just doing the festival anyway and pushing forward and at the end of it we had one of my favorite experiences i've ever had in my life which is one of my Favorite local bands from Mississippi, a band called Questions and Dialect. If anyone out there has ever heard of them, they've traveled around and stuff. But we were caught in the rain, there was lightning, tornadoes around us. And we just, everyone that was at the festival got on stage with the band and we all hung out on stage while they played with the lightning going off in the background and the rain. And then as soon as they finished, everything just broke loose and the tornado sirens went off and we all had to rush and get everyone cleared out and to safety so that was a failure in the sense that the festival didn't generate as much money as I'd hoped for charity and I saw the potential of the audience we could have had and then it just got crushed by this weather but then at the same time there was this silver lining and, and that whole experience even though technically was a failure, it taught me so much about just how to realize an idea and how to even if you don't know how to get from point A to point B, how to take those steps into the unknown and just start talking to people and putting the idea out there and relying on the minds of other people to fill in the gaps that your mind can't fill in itself and seeing what's possible when you do that. And that's one reason why I really committed to being an entrepreneur was learning from that experience and learning what's possible, even if you don't understand how to get to where you want to go, and how doors can open up as you just talk to people and put that intention out there, what your idea is. That's led to all sorts of really fun and cool projects and has gotten me to where I am now.
0: Oh, very cool. Sounds like quite the learning experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was very interesting on multiple levels.
0: So tell me, what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life?
1: I'd say one is The Marriage of Heaven and Hell by William Blake. That's one that I read in high school and it radically affected me that's where the quote from the doors of perception comes from that people may be familiar with the doors used to name their band but aldous huxley had a book called doors of perception and that phrase comes from a quote from william blake that's in this book marriage of heaven and hell when the doors of perception are cleansed man will see things as they truly are infinite but that book was definitely a big one for me another one about to turn around and and look at some of what i've got on my bookshelf here i would say Another really big one, kind of more recently, that has affected me profoundly on a professional level is The New Economics by W. Edwards-Demming. That radically changed how I think about business and management and leading and that sort of thing. I still go back to that book a lot, his theory of profound knowledge. I recommend people look that up. Really fascinating. And then... Another one would probably be, it's funny, but The Shining by Stephen King. That was a book that I read in its entirety some time back and it left a really profound impression on me just as a writer and just how that story unfolded and communicated and some of the ideas that are embedded in that story and for people that have seen the movie but not read the book is very than the movie and I highly recommend people read the book. But those are... Just to choose three very different books, I would say those are three that have made very lasting impressions on me.
0: No, it's quite the eclectic list. I love it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I could list a lot more, but just uh, in the moment, those are the three I'm pulling.
0: Cool. Cool. So what advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world? And is there any advice you think they should ignore?
1: So starting with advice, my advice would be for all young people, I recommend learning technology to some degree, learn some basics around coding. And I would also really study what's going on with blockchain. Because in general, those two things, if you learn just a little bit of coding, even if it's just... HTML coding and JavaScript or something that empowers you with tools that allow you to do a lot of things in today's world and the way that no matter what sort of projects you want to do for yourself, that will help you tremendously and a lot of tools for you. But then the blockchain stuff, I'm extremely excited about because it's getting close to providing a lot of really tangible use cases that are going to usher in its kind of widespread acceptance. And I see blockchain as being part of this Web 3.0 concept, this next evolution of the Internet. And just in general, those are two like technology things that I highly recommend people look into and understand because they're going to be so big in the next several years. And it really just doesn't matter what you decide to go into coding and blockchain can be a part of it. And it can be very, very powerful advice to not listen to advice that I got growing up that used to drive me crazy. And I've been proven correct in ignoring it was anytime people try to steer me away from my passions and more towards practicality. Being practical is important, for sure. It's a muscle or a skill you hone in on how to be pragmatic with what you want to do in life. But at the same time, I don't think that should ever come at the cost of your passions or your dreams and your dreams will evolve and change over time. And that's great because they should, because your mind will change over time. And if your mind's not changing, then something's wrong. But yeah, that, that balance between pragmatism and really going after what you're passionate about and, and trying to affect the world in a way that you're passionate. I'm a big kind of a follower of Joseph Campbell and kind of the follow your bliss idea and that we're all on our own heroes journeys and every time that i've ignored what i care the most about my passions or whatever whenever i talk down to those things and minimize i always end up regretting it at some point and so that's something that i've learned to try to really stop doing as much as i can and i think the sooner you can learn that the better because in this day and age with the internet and everything else the way it is and information sharing there's so much you can do if you can imagine something you want to do there are ways to make it happen and going back to advice another bit of advice I would definitely have for people that was a huge help for me is when you figure out what your passions are one of the best ways to get on the track towards figuring out how to turn that into something real that can you know support you and Pay you so you can keep doing it is to volunteer for people that you want to be close to. Find ways to, for free, add value to people so that you can start to create a network of individuals around yourself that will help you help support what it is that you have a passion for and everything. And for me, what that looked like was when I graduated out of undergrad and was still going to school and not sure what I wanted to do. I started, like I said, volunteering at museums and other places because I wanted to, you know, test out science education in a more formal way. And that was huge. For one, it gave me a lot of experience and that was valuable, but also just the conversations I was having with scientists and with people that have gone into these different directions that I was exploring that could tell me what those paths look like and give me a better sense of what I want to go down those paths or not. That was incredible. And it shortcuts, I think, a lot of time in trying to get to where you're trying to go. If you're willing to just volunteer your time and make yourself a resource to others with the idea that the payoff is the experience and, and those networking connections that you're making in the process. Um, if I could go back in time and, and tell my younger self anything, any sort of advice, like that would be one of the number one things I would say is volunteer more and start at an earlier age and volunteer in causes and organizations and things that you actually care about, not just what you think you should do, picking up litter or stuff. If you're not actually passionate about the environment, find another way, make yourself a resource that's really going to add value to others and yourself. Yeah, I think those are the two biggest things. Yeah, don't compromise your passion. And don't be afraid to give up yourself for free, you know, in exchange for gaining the experiences and connections you need to get to where you want to go.
0: That's great. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why?
1: It would probably say something like, remember love and mercy. There's a song by Brian Wilson that I love that's one of my like, I call them my life songs and songs that are like really cut deep to your your soul. But he has a song called Love and Mercy. There's a specific version of it that I uh, really love. It's on an album that he had called I wasn't made for these times, which is how I feel a lot of times. And the message of that song is so simple, but also extremely powerful. This idea that at the end of the day, the two main things that as humans, we all need is just a little bit of love and a little bit of mercy. And the mercy component, I think, is is particularly important. I think people talk about love all the time and trying to extend some sort of like radical, unconditional love to your fellow humans and stuff. But love is not possible really without mercy. And besides taking into consideration the fact that you don't understand necessarily what all is going on with somebody or their situation in life or, Everyone has their internal environments as well as their external environments they're responding to. And so I try to remind myself regularly to have a lot of humility and and humbleness about when I'm interacting with other people. If someone says something, that rubs me the wrong way. I, I really try to just have that mercy and let it go. And so I think that's what I would say. Remember love and mercy and pass it on.
0: Powerful. Love that. So tell me, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to interpret the word investments as mm-hmm. broadly as you like. I would
1: say probably a couple of things. One is that time I spent volunteering quite a bit in trying to figure things out. And that paid off in ways that I'm still unpacking because diving into science education on that level and just diving into the deep end and working with people of all ages. I taught kids as young as kindergarten all the way to adults 60 plus of age and getting all of that experience and volunteering and, and understanding how a lot of things work. That's it, just continues to pay back in ways that I, it's hard to even fully comprehend. And certainly, like my company, Natural Learning Enterprises, is an extension of things I've learned that trace back to those days, those volunteer days and everything quite a bit. And so I'd say that's definitely an investment that um, has paid off quite a bit. And then the other is, I was ranting about blockchain earlier, but really seriously, like taking the plunge to invest in a little bit of crypto and start to play blockchain and just seeing where that goes, that has led me on another path that I'm extremely excited about. And I, I see my education stuff, tech stuff, science stuff, all these sort of things converging really soon. And I'm super, super stoked about it.
0: Oh, very cool. So tell me, what are your go-to self-care strategies, tactics, techniques?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I would say right now they're not good enough. So I, my wife and I had our daughter about two and a half years ago. And so since then, I'm still trying to figure out what my new routines are, especially because children change so much. So they're just always going through new phases. So lately I tend to be quite sleep deprived and a number of other things. <laughs> so I'm still figuring that out, but I would say some of the things that I do that I find really helpful are carving out time to just let my mind go wherever it's going to go. A lot of times that takes the form of like stream of consciousness writing. I do that quite a bit. I have a lot of notebooks that I've filled up just, and I don't ever intend on doing much with what I'm writing in there. It's just more of getting things from my brain out and then me reading them and that feedback loop that kind of comes with that. Um, That is very therapeutic for me and becomes a kind of form of meditation. I view it as in some ways as a form of mindfulness meditation and it certainly can evolve into that depending on what's going on. And then mindfulness too, separately is another thing I take very seriously. Even though I'm stretched in a million direct as a parent and a business owner and all these spouse and all these other things, I do try to bring myself back into the moment as much as I can through breathing techniques, internal narratives I have going on with myself. I used to study Thich Nhat Hanh quite a bit. And so a lot of how I approach mindfulness comes from that, his tradition and what he has promoted through the years. And so that's a bulk of what I do. And once upon a time ago, I used to actually like to carve out time to meditate in a more serious way. I I say more serious way, more a way that most people would conceptualize as meditating, sitting down in silence for an extended period of time and being with existence and awareness and everything. But these days, I just simply don't have those blocks of time anymore. I think I'll get them back soon. But so I have to focus on that sort of active, mindful meditation of just as I'm doing things, breathing in, breathing out. I know that I'm breathing in. I know I'm breathing out, trying to connect back to my body, even when I'm still actively doing things. And that can be extremely powerful as well. So I'd say those are some of the main self-care things I'm able to to do
0: Jason, this has been a really fun and enlightening conversation, but that does bring me to my final question of the day and that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? That's a really
1: good question to have to think about that one. I've been very fortunate in that I've had a lot of people help me through the years and in, in many different more ways than I can remember or count. I'd say, Hmm. I want to give you an honest answer. I'm trying to really think about it. I'd say one of the kindest things that someone has probably done for me. I have a lot of memories of this isn't just like one moment, I guess, but it's a recurring thing. But times that, that people have just sat with me in silence as I'm like, going through something or digesting something. My life has been really crazy, and it would take hours and hours of a podcast to go into all of that, but I've experienced quite a bit of just craziness and traumas and things, and it's a miracle that I've maintained my sanity as as little as I have to this point. And so when I think about the kindest things that have ever happened, I think about the times that a select few people have been there and not tried to offer advice or anything like that, but have just been present in the silence with me. To me, that's one of the kindest things because that actually takes quite a bit of effort and energy and it's uncomfortable, but it's powerful. And without those moments, I don't know where I would be. And so I would say the times that some of the people closest to me in my inner circles have shared those moments with me, those are the kindest things that I've experienced.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Jason, thank you again so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. I I hope this has been interesting for everyone listening. And yeah, I appreciate the invite. It's fun.
0: Oh, definitely. Today's episode was brought to you by the HOCL Association. If you're an HOCL business owner or looking to join the industry, visit HOCLA.org to learn more and book your free consultation today. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness.